Welcome. Podcast ain't played nobody. Still entering week four. Bill, what'd you learn this week? I learned that Georgia is amazing. No, they're not. So we found something we can disagree with. We're going to lead the show off on this. They might be amazing. And I think, Bill, you think they are amazing. Is that where we're at? Is that <laughs> well, you can't, you know, it's it's silly to overreact good or bad, obviously. But this is the Georgia I expected to see a lot this year. We didn't see it the week before. So, I mean, two SEC games, they've only shown, you know, 50% of the time. Um, but I, I do think more and more that part of their problems against Vanderbilt were because of Vanderbilt. I think they're... Their Vandy's offense is still horrific, but their defense is getting somewhere pretty quickly, and it, mm-hmm. and it made Georgia a little sloppier. Uh, South Carolina had no way to make Georgia sloppy at all, and uh, very, very bad things happened. True to the name of this program, which is obviously done with, with some humor in mind, uh, I, sh- my, I have nothing against Georgia. I have everything against what could be a really, really bad South Carolina team possibly the worst South Carolina team that Steve Spurrier's had in Columbia. So uh, ULM not having a good year. Vanderbilt, I thought they did what they were supposed to, but I just don't know off of, and and don't give me the road game thing. I I live two miles from that stadium. It's not a road game. Um, I just don't see anything on this resume yet. But, uh, you know, I, I did SB Nation Selection Committee yesterday, which, by the way, I was woefully underprepared for, which is what happens when I don't do media co-hosted with you, where I can just kind of, like, provide color and insight <laughs> and then just lean on all your information. Um, uh, I had to justify why I had Michigan State over Ole Miss. We could talk about that in a second. But uh, I think Georgia is the classic ain't played nobody yet. Now, I will. I think you and I in the world will know when they play Alabama, and then uh, by the time they're done with Tennessee and Missouri, we'll know exactly what this team is headed into the cocktail party. They haven't done anything wrong. They're doing everything right with a transfer from Virginia at quarterback. I am not trying to say anything negative about Georgia. It's just that yesterday when we were debating who the number four team in our you know playoff picks were, people Georgia. Did, you know. Yeah, see, Georgia starts to bubble up, and I just, to me, it's, you've got, that number four spot is just wide open. Now, keep in mind, I don't have Ohio State in my playoff four right now, but, so you would throw them in there as this possible number four. Georgia, both of the uh, the Big 12 schools, it's a really crowded field, and, I mean, that resume right now to me, if you're just, which is what I try to do so stupidly in these playoff picks, everything I do during the season, Bill, all the reporting, all the weird stories we come up with, all the investigative work, you name it, all the dead ends I go down. The thing that stresses me out the most in my job is coming up with these damn teams every week. It's killing me. <laughs> I, I, I hate doing rankings and predictions just like off the top of my head because everything I, everything I think of is like in odds form, except that doesn't make for very good predictions. Right. So uh, more very um, intriguing predictions, let's put it that way. No, I, I mean, you know, I, this is... Part of this is preconceptions. I expected to see this from Georgia, and so I just need a couple of glimpses to assume that that's the real Georgia. I will say, as you mentioned, Virginia t- a transfer. It made me a lot more nervous about Georgia when he won the tri- when he won the starting job. I was expecting, you know, for for Georgia to live up to my top five uh, in my head projection. Um, yeah, I was kind of expecting Bryce Ramsey to have a nice step forward and win that job. And when he didn't, and the guy who threw double-digit interceptions with Virginia last year did, that made me nervous. And then when he played the way he did against Vandy, which wasn't, you know, no interceptions or anything, but just very mediocre, uh, that made me more nervous. But, I, you know, he's not going to start completing 96% of his passes, but that at least showed you that this what, what the ceiling of this offense can be with him. And now it's, now it's just up to them to show it more. 
right. Last thing I'll say on rankings. We've got a lot to get on, get to on the show. There is, this is the best way I can break it down, which is not how I was allowed to do it for our selection committee, but there's two teams with two great, uh, undeniable wins this early in the season. And that's Michigan State over Oregon at home and Ole Miss over Alabama on the road. So have them one, two, two, one, whatever. That, 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 that's tier one. I think the second tier right now, based off of what they've done with what they don't have and the consistency they've shown, is Notre Dame. Okay? I don't expect them to last because the attrition is so bad. But as of right now, maybe it's because I was just that bullish on Georgia Tech. I have Notre Dame as just one step below Ole Miss and Michigan State. Then the number four is just it, it, it's a massive, fiery car wreck of complaints and uh, you know accusations of bias because... UCLA, Baylor, TCU, Ohio State, Georgia, maybe Florida State too. LSU, I mean, they've only played two games, but they've both been, you know, conference games. They've looked good in both. So that's where it just becomes an absolute cluster. Who was your number four? Georgia was your number four team. Wow. Over all those teams? Well, I I think. I don't actually remember. I know I had Georgia in there. Uh, Because here's, here's the deal. It's been three weeks, and I try not to overthink. The end, like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure about Ole Miss. And when I say that, let me let me uh, phrase it a little differently. I, through three weeks, I am sure that Ole Miss has proven more to me than any other team. After last year, they have to. You know, last year they proved it for seven weeks, and then they completely and totally stopped proving it. So it's ongoing. But yeah, I mean, I know I wanted. I knew I wanted Ole Miss up there. Um, I figured Notre Dame at this point had earned the number two spot for me. And after that, it was just basically, you know, who I like. Blah, and then just yeah. spit them out, and then forgot about them twenty minutes later. So that that would be my one piece of advice: is don't think too hard because everybody forgets this a week from now. TCU uh, was my number four. I, I had thin logic. I just for whatever reason, I like the ability of a team to have a bad. To, like you either know you're deficient somewhere, you find out really fast on week one, and they it was kind of both for them. They found out just how thin they knew they were going to be with defense and replacing guys, but they still got the job done at Minnesota on a Thursday night. I just really was impressed by that, maybe maybe more than I should have been. So that's why I had them at number four. But I can, uh, I'm, uh, you know, the Arizona UCLA game this week. I think that'll be the winner of that should jump into the conversation. Um, real quick, this is the open spot of the program. Which, if you'd like to, as you listen to this, tweet at me, um, make fun of me, Bill. You can make fun of me. I put Michigan State over Ole Miss, uh, and I don't have a good reason. I, I, like, I, I was on the selection committee on SB Nation last night and just started talking myself in circles. I, uh, I, I, can't, I can't give you anything. I well, can try, but you would shoot it down. <laughs> well, I don't have to. I'm not always mean. I'm not mean. I, I'll be nice. Well, I mean, you wrote a piece specifically about this. It's just, <laughs> as, as the alumnus and the extra critical uh, voice against Ole Miss, it seems, uh, I, I got nothing. And I will but, say that, you know, in that piece yesterday, I said, if you're thinking about anybody other than Ole Miss, you're thinking too hard. I think yeah. you're thinking too hard right now. <laughs> yeah. I like Connor Cook. I, you know, I like Connor Cook, too. I love Mich- <laughs> I love Sparty. I love yeah. uh, Michigan State fans. I've had lots of good experience. Well, one, you know, one good experience in their stadium with them. So uh, pretending to be one of them, that was fun. Uh, but, no, I like Ole Miss more right now. Okay. Yeah. We can we – can, uh, we'll drill down on this, I think, maybe after – I would like to see if they can score over 28 against Vanderbilt. Um, 
because I think didn't Georgia have some defensive scores against? Yeah, they had some. I think what two like a punt return and maybe another return touchdown. Yeah. If if Ole Miss could break twenty eight at home, which I expect them to do against Vanderbilt, then you know, we'll just deal with it next week. I don't want to overthink (laughs) it. Okay, moving on. Um, I'm going to tee Bill up here. And so what I'm going to do is give a slightly long-winded introduction because then the man himself is just going to go on this. But there are a variety of polls. We just got done talking about how there's inherent fallacy in all of this stuff, right? I mean, it's it's just been such a, a small amount of time that we sit here and pick apart the best teams in the country with just, you know, basically null sets, you know, voided, incomplete amount of work for us to judge. That being said... Even at the end of week 8 or 10 or 12, there are still valid arguments to be made against or for a particular problem with a set of polls. It could be the old computer polls. It could be the Harris. It could be the coaches poll. It could be the AP poll. Um, You know, as someone who is, you know, for whatever, however you want to classify it, a national college football writer, I'm on the road every week. I'm at the mercy of my DVR until about Wednesday morning. There are games from this week we'll talk about I still have not actually seen. Um, that's just the nature of what we do. So that, for instance, you know, is one of the big knocks against the AP poll. There are a whole new breed of polls. Bill has been sort of spearheading this. Um, and there's the F+, there's the FEI, and there's also the FPI. That's correct, right? It yeah. comes from ESPN. Um, the FPI, just like the F+, I mean, and and any other advanced metrics ranking system has has basically a in the dumbest terms possible a set of math that determines that it's a set of math you you can argue against that or for it uh, I mean, this has been going on since the dawn of the BCS and it's been going on even you know back when Notre Dame and Georgia Tech were fighting over a national title or I'm sorry I think it was Colorado yeah. uh, this is nothing new however what is new is the giant rise of the media conglomerate. And so with that in mind, I just mentioned before I hand this ball off that the FPI is run by ESPN and that the FPI has ranked a considerable amount of SEC teams in the, in the top. So, uh, Mr. Robot, take it away. <laughs> so I, I, it always feels weird to me when I start to defend ESPN. I think we have this thing with ESPN where it's like rebelling against daddy. Um, where, you know, they control so much of our lives that we start to assume ulterior motives at all times instead of just specific instances where they certainly had uh, ulterior motives. But all I can say about FPI is that really smart people, some of whom I've met or talked to, well, and talked to, I guess, um, were behind the creation of it. And I have some problems with it in general. Like when I saw their projections, uh, the preseason projections, my immediate thought, when you see like Vanderbilt, wherever they were, the 40s or 50s or whatever, my immediate reaction was, wow, they're putting way too much into recruiting rankings. Um, it's just proje- right there. Exactly. What about that showed you? Because, the- you know, what, what people are calling SEC bias, especially in those projections, is just the fact that everybody in the SEC recruits top 50 classes. So basically, if you're using, if you're significantly weighting any sort of recruiting averages, then that's going to help even Vanderbilt, uh, who has averaged a, a top whatever 40, 50 class over the last four or five years. Gotcha. Um, okay. And so that was my clue. Like, they were so terrible last year that if you have them in the in the 50s this year, then you're probably basing it too much on uh, recruiting. I don't remember. Maybe it was 60s. I don't remember for sure offhand. Who, who does prep for podcasts? But... Um, 
But but yeah, there were some clues in there that made me think that, and, and maybe maybe they're looking at like returning uh, starters or returning experience a little too heavily too. I wasn't sure. Um, but but basically, the bottom line is I have some I have some questions about FBI that we probably won't ever get answered because they um, you know the the way they use it doesn't really shed a lot of light. They just use it for win probabilities and those and those high level projections. And, you know, I do that, too, with F plus and, and my own S&P plus. Um, like we have what I what I call win projection Wednesday. Somehow that hashtag hasn't really caught on over the last couple of years. But uh, but I mean, I, it, there's uh, absolutely a purpose for that. And I like doing it occasionally. But I, you know, ratings for me need to provide insight into teams beyond simply they have a 58 percent chance of winning this next game. Um, I, the reason I started going down the stat road in the first place is because I wanted something to inform my analysis better. Cause I, you know, cause you, <clears throat> even though I watch a lot of football, I don't watch it all. And, and so I wanted to kind of have a better baseline understanding of a lot of teams or a lot of run games or whatever. And so for FPI, I don't get to do any of that. I don't get to play with any of that. Cause all we see is their ranking and their you know, remaining streak of schedule and how many wins they'll probably end up with. And that's fine. But because it's ESPN, we assume the worst. And that has led to, uh, like, colleagues of ours, uh, and I will say in advance, but if you're listening, you can come on to this podcast and, and we can talk about this because I don't want to feel in any way that this is like subtweeting or something because I know that you have problems with FBI. Hi, bud. I like you a lot and I enjoy working with you. Um, but way, way, way beyond anything uh, – that well, since I'm picking on Bud, that Bud has said there are massive conspiracies that uh, conspiracy theories that FBI was created to boost the SEC, and that's nuts. Like that, I, you know, I've I've spoken to Dean Oliver a few times. Um, I, I'm going to. I think he was in charge of the stats and info team when FBI was created. I'm going to doubt that he was willing to put his reputation on the line uh, to create an SEC friendly number. Uh, I, I have a lot of questions about FPI, but SEC bias isn't one of them. And, and you know, they're getting railed against because their top four teams are all from the SEC. But guess what? F-plus has four in the top five. Sagarin has four in the top five. Like, it's not – if you if you want to make fun of that, fine. But More like FU-plus, Big Ten. That's right. Screw the Big Ten. Um, and they're really the max just not nearly high enough for my tastes. But – I mean, yeah, if you want to rail against that, fine. But so far, it appears that FBI is performing reasonably well. Like, they, they have their stuff in the predictiontracker.com site. Uh, it's over 50% against the spread. And to me, I mean, that's not amazing. But if you can hit above 50% against the spread and your win probability projections are about right, and I have no idea if they are. I don't track that with ESPN. But I'm going to guess they probably are. Um, then that's fine. That's, that's, that, that qualifies as good enough to use in my book. Oh, go ahead. Just to bolster what you're saying in, 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 in a very sort of common layman's perspective here, I want to ask you, do you think that some of the criticism, and not just from our colleagues, but in general that you're seeing in the FBI comes from the, I don't want to say uninformed, but let's just say the, the casual eyeball test that, that has been given to the SEC through three weeks, and that's the... Arkansas losing to Texas Tech, Arkansas losing to Toledo, um, uh, Auburn barely beating Jacksonville State, uh, a, a non-traditional power in Ole Miss probably is the best team in the conference. 
do you think that that has coincided to where, you know, fans are saying, well, hey, Ohio State won, Michigan State two, and a lot of these polls. And then you look over to ESPN, well, of course the guys who are on the SEC network have some BS poll where, you know, the entire conference is propped up. Well, yeah, there's absolutely, the SEC is a lightning rod for really annoying conversation in both directions. Amen. I, I hate defending the SEC and I hate, Picking on the SEC, I just hate getting involved. But then, and, what do we? Hey, you've been a fan of an SEC school for four years. That's right. Welcome to the party. And 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 now we've even adapted by uh, completely uh, destroying our own offense, which is pretty cool too. Um, we we are assimilated. Hey, look, man, I was going to go the whole show and not even talk about Connecticut. No, I you know I I really it's funny like at this point there's no emotional like I'm not scarred by Missouri having a terrible offense at the moment. This opinion is already dead. You you can (laughs) cut it right open. I won't feel a thing. (laughs) Like it it just it kind of is what it is, and um, you know Missouri's one. I I think I I don't remember if I said this here or elsewhere, but Missouri's won. They won 23 games the last two years. This is a mulligan year for me. Um, So when I when I say they stink, it's not like I'm broken hearted. But they have let me down by stinking on offense. They just stink on offense. Uh, right. Eyeball test, stat test, whatever you want to use. They are bad at offense right now, and, and hopefully that can change. Man. Bob Diaco's a good-looking man. Okay? He is a wonderful-looking man. There, there's nothing wrong with a good-looking man running a good-looking Do defense. not look him in the eyes because you will commit to UConn on the spot. And, and, hey, I've spent some time in Connecticut this summer. Don't do that. Don't go up there. <laughs> So, so anyway, yes, uh, the fact that we're, that it's the SEC, I'm sure, let, let me put it this way, the person who presses the button on FBI uh, yeah. and saw the results first, saw the top five, and probably immediately went, shit. <laughs> <laughs> because they know. But you just, that's, it is what it is. Auburn's not in that top four. Arkansas's not in that top four. And um, the four teams that are have all shown quite a bit this year, as has Ohio State, as has Michigan State and everybody else. But, yeah, the fact that it was ESPN, the fact that it was the SEC, um, we kind of lose our heads and start rebelling against Daddy a little bit. Um, uh, again, to bolster what you've got going here, uh, uh, just because I think the simple premise of someone creating a, a math formula that inherently has bias towards a conference. First, I'd like to see that, honestly. I think that would be impressive. Um, and maybe it is as simple as saying, all right, well, look, you know, the recruiting, recruiting rankings are far, far too impactful in what you're doing. But the idea of, of rigging an entire system that way I think is hilarious. And also, keep in mind, the FPI doesn't affect anything. This, this, look, all of this essentially means nothing. It's not like the FPI is going to put a team in the playoff. I just, I seriously doubt. Ser- and and this, is, this is where I can step in as a reporter and say, having spoken to people, <laughs> multiple people, who are on the committee right now who determine these four teams, the FPI is not what they're all sitting around debating, okay? It might exist somewhere in a stack of hundreds of pieces of paper. But the much simpler and much easier metric of looking at strength of schedule and out-of-conference play is about five miles higher up in that stack. I promise you. Yeah, and, and that makes me sad. You know, it, it really – I mean, not FPI specifically, but, um, you know, Bobby Johnson getting named to the committee and basically going, oh, you know – Gut eyeball test, gut gut eyeball test. Right, that right. made me. That, that's sad because you're basically foregoing input that might help your decision. Here's the uh, thing about the, not, and we're getting in a ditch here a little bit. Um, I, I always see to you on things where we talk about let, let's raise the the median, you know, IQ of, of everyone involved, the fans, the selection committee, ads, whatever. 
I like the the emphasis on out of conference for one reason, and that's that it, I think it is helping to save and preserve college football, especially in these weeks that we're in right now. I think um, there's an interesting back end component here with what's going to happen to mid majors and sub, you know, the FCS programs if if schools pull away from them like in a large capacity. But I think it's the reason why you're seeing teams we like because we, we just got done on this program lauding. Oregon and Michigan State for setting up that series in such a short window. Um, I am I am a uh, in the bag for a great uh, non-conference series, especially on your campus, especially in the early part of the season. Because look, Bill, if we didn't have that Michigan Oregon, Michigan State Oregon game to talk about right now, it would be an even thinner, messier picture. So it's the one time where I'll steer away from logic and reason and, and hard analytics and say, you know what, if it bullies people into scheduling games, I'm totally down with that. I'm totally yeah. down with that. And I yeah. think you would agree with that too, you know? Well, yeah. And, and it's, you know, we, we talk about that game. Um, it, it's funny that, you know, I'm the guy who kind of defends Baylor's scheduling a little bit too, because it almost worked last year and it might work this year. Um, but I, I do, at the same time, I do look at things in terms of most deserving more than best. If this was a, you know, last year, um, in terms of best versus most deserving, if it was only best that mattered, uh, Florida State wouldn't have been in. You know, in my 18 in my bracket, Florida State wouldn't have been in. But they won all their games, therefore they deserved a spot. And so, would, oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, well, I just, you know, that that helps us in that, you know, Michigan State has a, a feather in the cap and, and one of Oregon's losses or maybe what ends up being their only loss isn't a bad loss. So that maybe that puts them ahead of other one loss teams in that regard. Uh, so it does kind of affect your station, but I still, you know, if Baylor goes undefeated, they're in. And so that's a perfectly logical way of going about things. So it really is kind of two different conversations. Like there's the playoff conversation and then there's just the, you got a lot of positive feedback, a lot of positive exposure for your program by playing this other team. It probably worked out pretty well for you thing. Uh, was going to try and bring this up and just to, as you were talking about this, I wanted to touch on, you know, far outside of the FBI, just how pissed off ESPN gets when they're accused of SEC bias. Specifically, when I was working on the Reese Davis story, I thought I spent a long time on the phone with a lot of people, and uh, I talked with Chris Fowler for about about an hour, hour and a half on the phone, and then I also I, I talked in person with Kirk Herbstreit for about half that amount of time, and I have notes and transcriptions of everything I do, and it's just long, laborious work to do that, but. I'll cheat occasionally, and I promise this story has a point. I'll cheat in my notes if someone goes on and on about a particular subject, and I'll just I'll do backslash talks about blank, knowing I'm not going to use the quote. So I was going to pull up a quote from Fowler about the SEC situation. He talked so much about that for so long <laughs> that I just have dashes in my transcript where it says talks about uh, like 18 minutes in talks about SEC thing, 22 minutes talks more more on the SEC. The only quote I actually transcribed I ended up not using in the story because it wasn't relevant to Reese Davis. He's, uh, this is Fowler talking about ESPN specifically and the accusations against the SEC or accusations of being in the bag for the SEC. Quote, one thing I've really resented is the idea that we're told what to say by bosses, that somehow the company's financial goal plays into what we say. I've never been told what to say. I have gotten a little overheated a few times and then management hears from people. With the, uh, this is, now he's talking specifically, the example he used is the BCS. He used to go in on the BCS. This oh, yeah. ESPN was, you know, was partnered with the BCS like they are with the playoffs. 
uh, we would hear from people from the BCS, and they would go, what is he doing? We're a partner with you in these games. Why is your most <laughs> visible host blasting this thing every week? Um, he said, they, they never told me how to do it. They just let me know that there was a concern, but it, sort of, it was always up to me with uh, how to decide how to proceed from that. So, and then his, the last thing he says, in, in like, pay, like not pages, but several paragraphs down on bias, he says, we've had a bias from day one. We're biased for the top teams in the polls. Um, <laughs> yeah, they don't like it. Uh, and probably the better, funnier example is that Kirk Herbstreet, my boy, going in on Leanne Tui. Oh, one man. Of pe- one, one of the worst people in the football universe, uh, Leanne Tui, got, got whooped. And then, of course, in terrible ESPN fashion, we're talking about a bias. They got a bias towards unnecessary apologies. Yeah. Poor Kirk, I thought called a great game. I got to, um, I saw eighty-five percent of the Alabama Ole Miss game. I got to listen to the the play-by-play for the second half. Um, I was on assignment, and I thought Kirk and, and Fowler did as good a job as they always do, which is really incomparable right now. They're by far the, the only two guys I won't call on a, a college football game. I like Vernon Gary, but it's to me it's almost more of a colloquial provincial southern thing at this point. And then stupid Leanne Tui from my stupid alma mater, no offense <laughs> to anyone from Ole Miss except Leanne Tui, accuses Herb Street of bias because she thought that Kirk was harping too much on the fact that Alabama made mistakes. Look, it was the, the final great stat that those guys, and they give a ton of great stats in, live in the moment. The final stat they gave in that game before Ole Miss finally got in victory formation was that this was the first time in Saban's career that he'd lost a game 0-5 in turnovers. That's a mistake-filled game. Yeah, the two things there. First of all, you know, when you're harping on the other team's mistakes, that means you didn't make those mistakes. So that's good. And, you know, I, it is funny. I got um, – I, I, I enjoy uh, mixing it up with Ole Miss fans a little bit, especially since, you know, I really like their team more than a lot of them do, more, more than you do. Uh, Correct. But uh, yesterday alone, I got um, – I wrote a piece that basically said, anybody other than Ole Miss, and you're probably thinking too hard about number one, but I also acknowledged that they recovered every fumble in the game. They got more bounces than Alabama did, and that helped them. I, I use that in reference to the fact that, you know, Alabama's not falling apart. This isn't the beginning of the end for Saban. Uh, it took a bunch of bad bounces for them to lose to a really good team. Um, mm-hmm. But the Ole Miss fans got a little uh, snippy about that. Uh, bad bounces, luck. You create your own luck, et cetera. Like, come on, I just said you're number one in the country. Let's <laughs> – we don't uh, have to – not everything has to trigger everything. My, my – it's not, a, it's not a rebuttal. It's not because I agree with you. But the turnover thing, we we love to pick up that and, and pick it apart because there's a world of difference. You know, it's just like stats are old and stats lie. And you say, oh, five and a turnover margin, and you immediately want to say, well, look at the luck. Yeah, okay. But to me, there's a world of difference in terms of causation and accountability and and luck when someone muffs a punt that they should return twice because there were two turnovers on on special teams and there's to me that's vastly different than Ole Miss's defensive front being so aggressive and so multiple that they were able to pressure Coker into throwing interceptions into zone to me that that's a turnover you created well okay see, here's that, the, okay I, I have a response for that but you finish first no, I was just say to me, there's a difference in those turnovers. Okay, you know the the football's a funny shape, and strange things happen. That I, I agree with that on some turnovers. Some you, when you force a, a quarterback 
specifically into throwing a bad pass, I feel like you have you have more agency in that. There are there's tur- there are turnovers and there are turnover opportunities. You control opportunities, um, but you still have to. But uh, you know, catching the interception is still a little bit random, and falling on the fumble is still amazingly random. And so, if I'm acknowledging luck for Ole Miss, Alabama. Alabama fumbled twice on kick returns, and they and, and Ole Miss recovered both. If Alabama recovers one of those two, maybe or then maybe Alabama wins, sure. despite still having fumbled. And you know those bad passes, Ole Miss. You know, and, and the the I think the people are kind of accepting of the fumbles thing. It's still kind of a blurry thing when we're talking about interceptions and breakups because over the course of a season. Um, or from season to season, you are probably going to end up with about one interception for every four to five pass breakups in a box score. Um, or sorry, one to every three or four. And um, But in a given game, you see an interception hit a, a defender right in the numbers, and that, that didn't seem like luck to you. It hit him in the numbers and he held on. So it really does – there's a randomness aspect of it too. And I always think of you know when we're talking about passes intercepted and everything – um, I, I'm not going to pretend that quarterbacks can control 20 yard passes to the inch. And so, you know, if it's two inches to the left, does he still hold on? Blah, blah, blah. There's still some randomness, even if it hits him in the numbers. And so, um, sure. from that perspective, uh, Ole Miss absolutely benefited from the turnovers ferry, both in terms of the opportunities they created, which they created. And the fact that that led to a plus five instead of like a plus three, because if it leads to plus three, that's still big and they probably lose. So, and of course, the fact that, you know, in, in, in the other direction, the fact that uh, Chad Kelly fielding a bad snap going, oh, crap, and lobbing it towards Laquan Treadwell ended up in, uh, in a touchdown by a different receiver uh, was also random. And what the hell are you talking lucky. about? Okay, that is, that is, you've seen Varsity Blues. That's an oop-de-oop. Well, I will say that uh, the receiver, who was it, Adabayejo? Adabayejo. 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 Um he was running oh, like it was coming in. Anyone who wants to remember that real quick, Bill? Attaboy, comma, Joe. Attaboy, Joe. <laughs> well, he was running like he knew the ball was coming to him. I will give him yeah. credit for that. It was but. slightly – the best part of the whole tip, if you're an Ole Miss fan, is it not only does it tip directly to him, but it tips it, it tips to him in a way that he's in stride and already behind yeah. all four of the seconds. Yeah, he had to so slow down like a half step to catch it, but it was right lead. there, yeah. So, yeah. yes, there was, it, it's okay to say that Ole Miss was lucky and fortunate and still should be number one in the country. Because I, I, I say it's okay because I just did it. But I mean, Florida State built a national title season and a playoff season last year on a lot of luck. Well, the, and, and I mean, I, I'll push back on that by saying there, was, there wasn't a lot of luck in 2013. Um, there was a hell of a lot of luck last year. and um, I think, uh, honestly, I think that's me being a little hazy in hindsight and remembering some of the more stupefying circum, you know, circumstances that I guess that was more last year. Yeah. They, they really didn't have any close games. So, I mean, even if they were fortunate, it probably only mattered so much because they just, they yeah. pretty much killed everybody in 2013, but no, that last year they were, I still say they were not one of like the 10 best teams in the country and they went undefeated and, and you know what power to them. If I'm an FSU fan, I buy that DVD and say that was awesome, but that doesn't, me and you are one of the four best teams. So Bud is gonna cut you. Oh, I think we. <laughs> I think he's he's willing to for to to cede the the floor on last year. He he knew mm. that there was some good fortune going on. Uh, yeah. We still need to have him on to so he can yell at me for bringing him up in a podcast unprompted. Uh, 
Okay, I want to shift gears slightly. Um, I want you to tell me in broad terms, and then we'll start to try and shape it up. What's going on in the Pac-12? Oh, they're fine. Are they? Fine. Not 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 better than you know. We we were talking about the SEC earlier. People saw that Auburn and Arkansas stink. Therefore, somebody has to be better than the Pac-12 uh, than the SEC, and must be. Yeah. Somebody, and by the way, the answer to that is not Pac-12, it's Big 12, but still the Pac-12 gets brought up the most. Um, they're well, fine. They're not, you know, Stanford, I still say Stanford's good, and the fact that at USC lost to them says as much about Stanford as it does USC. I still say UCLA is good. I think BYU was perfectly built to test a true freshman quarterback um, by hitting him and confusing him. Uh, Oregon's good. Their defense has me a little on the nervous side, but they're still good. Um, let's see, Oregon, Stanford, UCLA, USC, Arizona State looks a lot better now. Uh, you know, I, I realize they didn't look amazing against New Mexico, but they're fine. They, they've cleared whatever bar I had for them. So they, there's still a lot of good teams in the Pac-12. Utah's, uh, Utah's solid. Arizona's, I think, solid. I'm not completely sure about Arizona. Uh, Cal, Cal's better than expected. Their defense is still going to have them lose games, but they're still their offense is is full on killing machine at the moment. I, I watched them last year in person and thought that they were very much a year away from being like a respectable seven win team, and now I feel I feel pretty good about that prediction. Yeah, I mean that's you know I, I can't remember how I awarded it in my preview, but it was basically if if Cal's defense is only bad, Cal will win a lot of games this year, and I, th- um, I think they qualify for that as only so- bad. Well, the reason I'm asking you this is this is the point of this pro the the whole point of this and the reason why we converse is that we like to have an intersection of of analytics and perception of of hard numbers and sort of conjecture and I come in on the um, on the lazier side of those so there there are a lot of things going on off the field with the Pac-12 that are still sort of shaping the conversation and how we perceive what happens on the field. Um, you could ask anyone who is a Pac-12 alumnus, especially an alumnus of a, a good football school in the Pac-12, who does not live in the footprint of the Pac-12, how frustrating it is to keep up with their conference, to have the same sort of connection that the fans of the Big Ten and the SEC uh, have. It's, it's very difficult. You can live almost anywhere in the nation right now, and if you're a Big Ten or SEC fan, you can feel sort of dialed in. So I'm, I'm talking in circles around this you know, ongoing failure of, of the Pac-12 network to basically find all the major carriers. Um, that, I think, is leading into some frustration at the, maybe not so much, There's a, I just said there's a good amount of frustration maybe on the fan level, but it, more on the administrative level from school to school because a lot of people um, at a lot of these programs feel like, and, and I'm trying not to tip my hand as to what I'm going to write in a few weeks, but... A lot of people feel like they're just not getting the shake that they deserve. They're not getting the attention they deserve, and it's hurting the brand overall. When you look at programs that aren't Oregon and USC specifically, when you get into that second tier of schools that we just talked about, of which there are many great football programs, um, they feel under-recognized. Um, some of that they can't help. Some no, of that They're never is... going to be closer to the rest of the country. Exactly. But I think it's... A lot of this, and it's funny for you to instantly say, hey, they're fine. Everything, you know, it's it's just a couple of weeks. It's sorting itself out. And let's keep in mind, too, that, you know, I just got – I said this at the top of the program. My playoff four will almost certainly have – as if I – as if my playoff four matters. <laughs> uh, 
but my playoff four, and I think I think other people's too, will have the winner of, of uh, Arizona UCLA in it. Yeah, there's still a chance for a program to come out as a national title contender and sort of carry through until November that way. I think it's going to be UCLA, honestly. Um, it's just that the it feels like based off of the stuff that we're fed, the journalists and the reporters that go to these events and talk to these people, when the new Pac-12 sort of debuted and you saw that flood of money and there was a big New York Times piece about how you know all at once they were improving facilities and they're they're luring these coaches west, Bill, and it's such a better quality of life. Um, that whole hype machine got cranked up about two years ago. Last year, I took a tour. Uh, for the you know the, the conference toured me through their facility, which keep in mind is a giant conference office connected to a a huge thousands and thousands of square feet of real estate in San Francisco, uh, fully interactive uh, television studio. They're they're putting so much product if you do have pac-12 network you know what i'm talking about right now that they have instead of an east coast and a west coast feed they have a north and a south feed so they call it the san francisco feed the la feed basically it divides the divisions you're if you're a fan of i don't know uh usc beach volleyball the men's team like you i think you can see like 20 games a year that's insane so they're dumping now all of this comes at a cost because they didn't partner with a network and the short of this is that money is getting eaten up by the schools themselves. And meanwhile, I think they haven't had, and, and maybe this is the last question I'll ask you before we move on, unless, unless anything I've said has irked you from, a, from an analytics perspective, they haven't had their bell cow in a position to carry them into conversations that happen in New York, that happen in Birmingham, that happen in Dallas, and that's USC. So I think the, well, right. the loss to Stanford was... I hate USC hype because I feel like so much of it comes unmerited every freaking year. Um, and I know that's that that's high irony for someone that comes from the SEC to say, but I, I don't have anything against USC personally. I just see I see the offseason hype they get on an almost annual basis, and I just kind of shrug at it. But at the same time, I understand the importance of that program, and it's it's vital. It's dire. And now that they are, are they knocked out completely? no. Are they on the outside looking in? Yeah, I'd say there's probably 15, 20 teams, you know, ahead of them. So I think it really hurts them. So I was I pulled up the F plus rankings just out of curiosity because I hadn't really internalized them yet this week. Um, yeah. Right now, Oregon is ninth, which is worse than last year. Uh, UCLA is twelfth, and they were sixth last week, so that's you know not particularly good. Uh, USC and Stanford are fourteen, fifteen. Uh, Arizona State is twenty. And that's it for the top 35. Utah's 36. Arizona's 39. Arizona, I, I, yeah, I have questions. Um, man. And that's it for the top 50. So I say fine. Fine is not amazing. Um, for, for the, you know, for, for the justifiable uh, credit they've been given for making just a bunch of great hires. You know, Oregon State getting Gary Anderson was amazing. Um, you know, that, that, that isn't, you know, Chris Peterson in, in Washington are not top 50 this year. And, and part of that's, they, they have to rebuild. They should be fine in a couple of years. Um, but I mean, Oregon state's not amazing right now. Washington's not amazing. Washington state's sure not amazing. So Colorado's still, I think they're slowly maybe getting CBD. out of the, the woods, but they've been in the woods for a decade almost. TBD, if your F plus rankings could could somehow take into account athletic department financial problems, oh, yeah, uh, it would benefit Colorado tremendously. So just 
Uh, McIntyre, I think he's a great guy. Um, I got to talk to him th- this summer, and he's doing what he can with what he has, and it's progress inching, just sort of quietly inching north. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll I, ride I, for Colorado for the moment. It, it's it's really hard right now. Yeah, and I I also like McIntyre. A couple of years ago, when I did the book. I talked to him for it, and he's the one coach more than anybody else. I think after every single thing I said, he said, that's a great question. <laughs> Thank <laughs> well, you. Feel good, right? Thank you, coach. Um, but, I mean, even they're, they're two and one. They, you know, they could end up with a, a, you know, more wins than they've had in a while this year. But, no, it and is just fine. State lost to Portland. Yeah. It had been that, – that was really the first time I saw anyone talk about a, a Pac-12 coach on a hot seat in a very long time yeah. since Kiffin had been fired. Yeah. The funny thing was I've been working I, – I, we worked on this feature last year and, and kind of shelved it temporarily because I was working on some sourcing issues, and we want to kind of bring it back out because this is the time of year where the Pac-12 has the potential to vault and, and always, for whatever reason, be it exposure, perception, you name it, you know, the fact that he's amazing. And when I, when I, when I talk about vault, I don't just mean in terms of rankings and wins. I, I mean in branding, the ability to reach in and – have Pac-12 schools be effective recruiters in Atlanta, stuff like that. I, I'm not just talking about quality of, of team play on the field. This is that point in the year where they always – it seems like they have the ability to get more in the conversation and brand themselves better, and they always just kind of miss it a little bit, you know? But they're also the only conference that's like, we're going to play a game on the moon and then in Tokyo. <laughs> so uh, they're, they're very fascinating to me. Last year, I remember looking at the, the coaching the, – you know all – all 12 coaches and thinking like, this is the best top to bottom collection of coaches. I think maybe in the country and none of them were getting fired at the time. Yeah. And, and you know, by all means in 2013, the PAC 12 might've been a little bit better than the sec or at least very close last year. Wasn't as good as the sec, but it was definitely second. So, you know, it's not like things are dire. It's just, you know, I think a little bit of success and, and what appeared to be good hires, um, in perception have, have raised the bar higher than it, than is particularly easy to reach. So, but I mean, you know, again, USC either is a good hire away or a, a few actual good bounces away. Um, not that they've had bad bounces, but if they got some good bounces, they could easily be uh, top 10. Again, UCLA's got, you know, the 2017 Heisman favorite <laughs> um, at quarterback right now. Uh, you know, a lot of these programs are built for the long haul. It's just, you know, you, you want to see three or four of them peaking in top 10 or 15 quality at the same time. And at least this year, that's not going to happen. I think until we see who, I mean, you're going to have a one-loss team emerge from Oregon Stanford, and then I think UCLA may run it. Uh, you, you, you might need an additional team in there somehow. Maybe, I don't know, Arizona State, maybe? Maybe kind of hard to find that third team right now you know we just talked about how we like what cal's doing but they're just not ready yet they're ready to beat somebody but they're not ready to go like 10 and 2 no how many games does usc lose from here on out uh i was a talk radio question if there ever was one <laughs> i'm I, I let's see i'm actually gonna pull up the schedule here uh that's gonna be determined in the next uh couple weeks they're at arizona state this week um, i think that's a win washington at home and then that's at notre dame so that's if you go if you yeah. go two and one there, then you could reasonably well no then they have at Oregon at the end of the year so um, I think basically USC because USC is held to such a high standard 
um, losing to Stanford, that's you know, even if it was like a toss-up game, because I really do think Stanford's good, um, even if it was a toss-up game, it was one they really, really needed to have to reach whatever goals they might have set at the end of the year. So uh, if, they can, if they can get to 10-2, and two, they were damn good. But I don't think they get to 10-2 and two now. It's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, this just may be... This may be a year where the playoff just doesn't happen for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I'm the next one of the you know. By them, I meant the conference. Right. I'm sorry, not, not just right. And um, you know, it's funny with the the committee. We look at everything like it's the Supreme Court, like the precedent. What precedent do we see here? And um, one of the things that's kind of still on the list to see how the committee responds is. Uh, an 11 and two conference champion with a really good strength of schedule versus a 12 and one conference champion with an only decent strength of schedule. And I, I mean, it seems unfair to pick out examples there, but let's say 11 and two Oregon versus like 12 and one Clemson. Um, really curious. That's, that's like one of the boxes we still have to check with the committee. I'm not convinced they put a two loss team in, even if, uh, even if it's Oregon, even if they look really good, uh, but we'll see. Gotcha. You just forecasted a nightmare. Oh, yeah. There are plenty of nightmares to come. It's going to be fun. Yeah, that one just really sticks for some reason. Um, all right. I'm headed to Memphis this week, Bill. It's yes. not the sexiest de- destination in terms it's, of – It's absolutely the sexiest destination. Oh, God. You and everyone else at SB Nation. Um, <laughs> the, it's really not the sexiest week, though. Um, the reason I'm going, obviously, is to talk to a guy I think is going to be – Maybe one, maybe one A on a lot of people's lists who are looking for head coaches, and that's Justin Fuentes. Um, they're going to play Cincinnati and Tommy Tuberville. It's a pretty good game. Um, it's a Thursday night game. There's just not a. This is not the week again. I feel like that's the second, maybe second and a half time we've said that. Um, we haven't had a full caliber week yet. Um, you know, opening week is so spread out that you don't get that Saturday where you go wire to wire with action. Um, last week was better than expected, but oh, last uh, the the early session on last Saturday was drick, but the the night session was phenomenal last week. Right. Um, what are you looking for this week? I've got a couple things. I'm just curious if anything jumps out at you. Um, and here's where I pull up the I covertly pull up the schedule because oh, I, here I'll vamp for you I, right yeah, away. Go ahead. Um, not to not to belabor what I've seen from Tennessee, but if they don't win this game at Florida, that stat of Butch Jones against ranked opponents, that stat of Butch Jones having never beaten you know the the hated teams for for Tennessee, which is Florida, Alabama, and Georgia. It, I, this is in, in a way this is a referendum, but not really. Obviously, they're going to stick with him. They're going to see it through. Recruiting is on schedule player development is on schedule Josh Dobbs is on schedule but there's been so much patience afforded to this guy justifiably so he's got to give them something he's I hate to. I didn't like his offensive coordinator hired um, yeah. in the offseason I thought it was just whatever I think it was basically hey we've got enough talent to just kind of go generic pro style whatever and it'll be fine and, and he's probably right for the most part um but yeah, and, and granted, beating Florida doesn't do anything about your beating ranked teams record, but uh, it's a streak that Kentucky wasn't able to end last week. I would say this about that, though. Like, it doesn't change anything about beating a ranked opponent, obviously. I think that if you were to ask 2,000 Tennessee fans that live here in Tennessee, would you rather have beaten Oklahoma at home or would you rather beat Florida in the swamp? Oh, Florida. I, I, and I, 96% are going to say Florida. Oh, yeah. 
there's such a there's such a dogma about this losing streak to Florida right now that that has just infected the just the identity and the confidence of those of the of the program itself. So well, the Oklahoma be, game, the Oklahoma game was an opportunity to to experience something good. The Florida game yeah. is a, is an opportunity to stop experience some, experiencing something bad. Because um, you know, yeah, you're Florida is not amazing, but it's kind of like t- Kentucky last week. If you don't if you don't beat them now. Um, there's nothing saying McElwain's gonna, is the, is an amazing hire, but he, you know, we, he might be. We have, we don't know yet. And uh, if the Florida train gets rolling, then you you might not have another chance for a little while to beat them. So do it while you can. What we know in the short term is that uh, the defense had a lot of stuff left over from Muschamp, and I, uh, you know, I think Jeff Collins has done a pretty good job so far. He's going to be aggressive. They what what Tennessee put on tape against Oklahoma is an inability to adjust in, in terms of shifting yeah. coverages, and he does not look good throwing against man. No, um, that's you know, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Florida's noticed that, and they're going to have to find a way around that. Yeah, next so, week he's going to have to play without Hargreaves and, and without a lot of these players that he was left. But uh, yeah, the Florida defense certainly looks the part right now. Yeah, uh, UCLA and Arizona. We talked about. I think it's uh, an early test for UCLA. I like them in that game, um, just because I, I think they're going to emerge as the favorite in the South. But you know, it's uh, what is it, seven o'clock our time, Central Bill. So not too too late for anybody to check out. It's not Pac-12 after dark technically. That would definitely be USC and Arizona State. Um, I like this game. I think it's going to be fun. Um, and then I guess the other one that really kind of jumps out at me in a thin week is. TCU at Texas Tech. Yeah, oh yeah, Re- the revenge tour. Um, yeah, that's that has to be a really, really scary game for TCU fans now that the defense is just dropping like flies. Yep. Um, and now you have to. I mean, te- this isn't you know peak Mike Leach Texas Tech offense, but it's pretty. It's getting really close. Mahomes is good, and uh, he can run a little bit, and he you know that's not an amazingly explosive passing game. Uh, but they are kind of an efficiency machine. And I think the thing that impressed me, this I think made the numerical, if I remember right. I already forgot what I typed earlier this morning. Um, but the um, the most impressive thing about the Arkansas win to me, they only created one more scoring opportunity than Arkansas did. It's just they scored touchdowns. So like the first six times they got inside Arkansas's 40, they scored a touchdown. And the only time they didn't was when they had already eaten like six minutes off the clock and they were up by 11 and they missed a field goal at the end. Um but that's they were efficient, and um, you know it, it, TCU showed last week that their defense isn't good enough to dominate right now. SMU was able to move the ball, and Tech is, I guess, kind of at the moment a better SMU. So um, I already kind of had this in the off season. I kind of had this game marked anyway, just because of the revenge aspect of it, where you know you got absolutely humiliated on the road last year, and then they have to come to your place the next year. So um, TCU's offense might be good enough that it doesn't matter, but I'm not completely convinced of that. Uh, a lot of crisis games this week. Um, really, I think in all these crisis games, the uh, the team in crisis is not favored and probably will lose. Arkansas and Texas A&M and Arlington. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma State, I believe that's in Austin. And Mississippi State and Auburn. Uh, I think, obviously, uh, Auburn being the crisis team. Um I think that Mississippi State is going to beat Auburn for the second year in a row, which down in my neck of the woods is is as impressive as as uh, Ole Miss beating Alabama two years in a row um, in a different way in terms of what it means for the program in Mississippi. 
I don't see Texas winning. I don't see Arkansas winning, and I think Auburn might lose at home. So all three of those programs are going to be not hot seat, but there's some serious issues at hand. The I one think- that interests me the most is Auburn because they, they've already adjusted to, to – to answer to that outrage and changing defensive coordinators, and I think people expected a magic fix that has not happened yet and will not happen this season. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's clear it won't happen this season. I think they're still they still have potential to be a decent team down the stretch, but right now they're still working. I would say with Texas, it'll kind of annoy me if Strong gets too high up the hot seat this year. I think last week we saw the future. You know, they were fit. They were what six point underdogs against Cal. Um, they had, you know, a redshirt freshman quarterback that made a dramatic comeback. They would have been, you know, who knows what would have happened in overtime. I think Miami, Nebraska proved that momentum doesn't really exist in overtime, but, uh, they, they very well could have won that game if not for, you know, a three, 3% chance of missing a PAT. And, um, I think that, I mean, at this point I'm comfortable with Texas. They're still not going to be amazing this year, but I think, when you've got a redshirt freshman quarterback who showed what Hurd did last week, as long as he shows it a few more times this year, I would say strong, safe, simply because you can see the future now, and it doesn't look nearly as dire as maybe you thought it did two weeks ago. Really? That's the most optimistic thing I've heard about Texas in weeks. Oh, but the, watching that the end of that Cal game live and the crowd being what it is, obviously the, the shiv of the missed PAT was amazing. But that crowd, like that yeah. crowd, seemed to have a vibe to it that it probably hadn't had in about four years. So it's a terrible home crowd, yeah. and it has been for years because of the culture there, the expectation, and also I think the median age of the people buying tickets. Right, but the, it seemed like the cameras almost were shaking a little bit when Herbert yeah. was going for that touchdown. So I think that's it for me. It really does. I mean, the numbers obviously play a huge role, but it's also little moments like that that I kind of catch on to that, that give me a certain vibe about a program. And I think I think Texas is okay. They're not going to, you know, I saw whoever it was, I think it was Barking Carnival, one of our Texas sites, uh, put up a, you know, we're going to win a national title with Charlie Strong. I'm not sure about that, but they're going to be good again. Um, God, they got that fired up after after a shootout with Cal? So, man, the vibe vibes get strong. I've been in those little moments like, uh, what was it, when Brad Smith ran for a touchdown against Oklahoma, um, fourth quarter, 2002. I remember this very, very clearly, even though we're approaching 13 years on. Um, like, that was the moment I realized Gary Pinkle's going to be okay here. Uh, you know, I, we're going to lose this game. <laughs> we're going to lose this game, and it's going to suck, and we and they did. Uh, but I think, I think this is all going to work out okay. And um, I was only sort of right. It's not like I th- thought it was two years from now we're going to completely fall apart, and then three years after that we're going to be good. Um, but that's you do get the vibe, and it carries you pretty far sometimes. Uh, game of the week, obviously, Central Florida and South Carolina. Obviously. Uh, let's go straight pick there. Who do you like? Who do you got? Well, that's, you know, if let's put it this way. If South Carolina doesn't win this game, they really might end up like 2-10. and 10. Um, But as for all the bad vibes that South Carolina has right now, UCF just lost to Furman. Right. Um, game that was going to be super interesting, now only marginally. So Boise State at Virginia, if Boise finds a way to win a kind of tricky jet lag, strange game on a Friday night, looks like it's going to be another, I feel confident in saying this because their conference schedule is so bad. I mean, this this could be another one-loss Boise team that just goes to the Fiesta Bowl and, yep. um, you know, beats the crap out of somebody, and we all forgot about them by Thanksgiving. So Yeah, I uh, felt I, I was kind of annoyed I got to do the win projections thing for the the group of five last week, thinking, you know, Temple and Memphis, and yeah. I ran out the numbers, and like, oh, it's still Boise State, never mind. Yeah, yeah, I mean, th- this is this is to a T without, you know, th- th- 
may not be the same kind of noticeable loss because last year it was an SEC team in Ole Miss and it was opening week and it was a Thursday night and a Chick-fil-A and all that, but basically the same situation. Um, you know, not a crazy bad loss. Um, I think they probably should have, I mean, they definitely should have won that game against BYU, but yeah. it's not a loss that dings you up in terms of, you know, the quality opponent. Um, I'm, I've tried to avoid talking because I'm so sick. I just don't want to talk about Michigan. I don't feel like they are in a position for this amount of conversation, but it is pretty, I mean, the BYU-Michigan game is interesting, but to me it's it, it's like the 15th or 16th game to watch this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could, uh, I could agree with that. Okay, uh, you cool. did, Let's, all right. You did forget Kansas Rutgers, by the way. I, I like Kansas. I feel for Kansas. <laughs> I think I, Rutgers Kansas is a twelve. Is Rutgers is a twelve and a half point favorite over a power conference team at the moment. I just feel for Kansas. I just do. I have, I do have a couple colleagues, ex colleagues that work at Kansas, but. Not even that. Just this is this is the nadir, a, 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 a functional end. You know, this is a, this is the functional. This is the worst you can be and still be a, 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 a power five program. Yeah, Wake Forest tried to challenge that assertion last year, but they didn't quite. Yeah. They they were a little too good on defense to. And as those words were coming out of my mouth, I thought, well, okay, what about Wake Forest? I feel like this is worse. <laughs> Uh, yeah, probably, especially this year because, you know, not only is it a new coach and new system, et cetera, they have, like, five returning starters. Like, they lost almost everybody from last year's two deep, and then their starting quarterback got hurt in the spring, hurt by a fellow, you know, teammate. Um, so, yeah, this was destined to be awful. Even if Beatty ends up succeeding, and I don't trust that he will. I mean, A, Kansas is a really hard job. B, hiring a guy whose main um, – qualifications that every, the first thing everybody mentioned about him is that he was a recruiter uh, and, you know, hiring that guy to, to coast in e, to coach in Eastern Kansas doesn't necessarily wow me. Um, but even if he succeeds, even if he's really, really good, they were destined to be terrible this year. Like really, 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 really bad. Yeah. No, I, I don't hang any, any bit of what happens this year on the coaching staff. There's far too big a hole to dig out of. Um, so real quick, got to leave it on a Homer tendency. Uh, what what are the thoughts and anxieties uh, for Missouri against Kentucky? And then I'll say um, Ole Miss. Uh, it's a six o'clock kick. For some reason, I thought it was an early morning kick against Vanderbilt. It's going to benefit the Rebels. Yeah. Um, again, all I'm looking for, and this is not so much in a rooting interest, obviously, as I am a uh, super responsible, important journalist who's unbiased. I would just curious to see can Ole Miss break thirty on that defense? Uh, wh- what about what about Missouri? What about them? <laughs> Well, Dave, when when they lost to Florida the other day, when Kentucky lost to Florida, what thirteen to nine, I think. Uh, Dave Matter from the Post, St. Louis Post Dispatch, had a tweet something like first one to ten wins." Kind of feels that way. I mean, yeah. there's both of these offenses have enough like raw potential or you know athletes that in theory, um, you know, one of them could kind of find a little bit of a rhythm at, at one point or another. And, and I mean, Missouri, this is a more extreme version of last year, but Missouri showed last year that where you are offensively in mid September or late September, isn't necessarily where you'll be in mid November. So, um, you know, I, I, for this, for Missouri in this game, it's more just about like whatever your goals, goals are, are for the season, season other, than other than simply getting, getting the six wins. wins um, um, you know, it you know, probably, it probably includes, includes beating Kentucky. Kentucky. 
And so, and even, so even though your offense, offense is just, just a train, a train wreck, wreck right now, it could change, but it's absolutely a train wreck right now. If you can figure out a way to win this game and be 4-0, South Carolina then comes to town, with all your issues, there's still a path to being 5-0 when Florida comes to town and being 6-0 when Florida leaves. If you can, if you can, if you can just kind of keep muddling through, through and looking, and looking terrible, terrible but winning right now, right now there's, there's still a chance that you look better later. That's kind of my hope. Is just, I, I don't. I don't. This, this is kind of a. This is very, very much a 50-50 game for me. But it's not like I don't. It's not like Kentucky's amazing. So there's still a chance Missouri because this defense Barry Odom's amazing. He's even better than I kind of expected him to be in terms of how quickly he can take a bunch of young athletes and turn it into a cohesive defense. This defense. Uh, is, is ridiculously good this year. This year. And, and so, so all the, all the offense, offense has to do is not, not, not throw picks. The, the, two, the, the, the one uh, throw per half that Maddie Mock throws that, that has no explanation whatsoever, if that goes out of bounds or hits the turf, then all you got to do is punt. you got to go punt. Punt to the defense. Let the defense take over about the 20-25 and eventually win like 12-10. to I'm fine with that. Uh, so there's, no, there's no style, no style points here because Missouri's, Missouri's not a national title contender. So, totally a coin toss game. I really wanted Kentucky to beat Florida only because it would have validated this concept of the reverse engineering process that's gone on that we've talked about, where yeah. where Stoops has gone into Ohio and pulled them in, pulled those kids into an SEC program and and, and found results with it. I'm not saying just because they lost at home to Florida that isn't working, but God, it would have been such a great referendum. Yeah, he's still um, has to prove he can, he can develop guys, guys and, he, and, he and he really hasn't. hasn't. He, still he still could. could. I mean, again, you know, barely, barely into the third year, year but that's, that's where it kind of these guys, guys that he signed, they're still, they're still pretty young, but they need to start developing and thriving now, and they haven't yet. Okay, I want to leave you with a dumb – I want I want you to shoot down a dumb stat. You ready? Okay. Okay. And Bill has no knowledge of this. I just came up with this slightly on the fly. One game we have not talked about, one item from last week we have not talked about, Leonard Fournette. Going against Syracuse this week. Uh, I love, I love that Syracuse site. Yo, this, 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 this stat I'm about to give, neither one of us endorses. Bill hates these stats. Okay, they're generic. They don't take a million things into account. But I guarantee you, somewhere in the world, not somewhere, multiple places, this stat is being bounced around as legitimate. Syracuse, number three rushing defense in the country, in the country, allowing 46 yards a game. And, 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 and that, that, that performance against Central Michigan, Michigan is really, really going to come in handy this week. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So, I mean, Shaver's a defensive, defensive coach. They, they, should, they don't really have an excuse to not have a decent, decent defense. defense. But, um, you know, Auburn, Auburn in the, at, the, at the end, the end of the day, Auburn also has a quote-unquote decent, decent defense this year. And that was, that was, that was tough, tough to watch last week. That, was, that, was, that, that became torture porn after a while. You're telling me. You're telling me that the 47 yards, the paltry amount of rushing that they're allowing, Okay. That iron curtain up there in upstate New York, where it's probably snowing. You're telling me they what they've built from Rhode Island, Wake Forest, and Central Michigan <laughs> is not going to be enough to contain Leonard Fournette? I, 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 I am feeling, feeling reasonably, reasonably confident, confident in saying, saying that, that, yes. All right, what's, what's our prediction for Fournette's line? Give me, for, give me Fournette's line. This, 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 this is where you're just supposed to say, to say pain. pain. Um, I figure, I figure LSU's, LSU's defense is good enough to get Fournette off the field um, after a certain number of carries. Like he only had like 19 against Auburn. It felt like 48. Um, but let's say about 22 carries, 
Um, I'm going to say 165 yards. yards. What did he have against Auburn? Uh, he, he had, had nothing, nothing is more intriguing than, than pulling, pulling up stats on podcast. Uh, uh, last, last week, week uh, he had a bunch of broken tackles as I like kill time. And now he had it now he, because several of those were were very long runs. Nineteen for two twenty eight. Okay, nineteen for two twenty eight. Now one of those rushes, one of those, I think his his first carry was for seventy yards. I am gonna go with. 19 for 228. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with 230 yards. <laughs> because I'm really bad at playing the prices right. <laughs> You're supposed, You're supposed to, always to always guess, guess one. one. Uh, I didn't want that showcase showdown anyway. All right, uh, we have picked week 4 clean. There's there's not there, there wasn't a lot of meat on the bone to begin with. We chewed it all off. We're 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 just at uh, at cartilage and bone at this point sinew if you will um anything else you want to add before we leave our friends uh, i love you bud i, love you, bud. I, I hope to have you on soon he's all right i like his hat I, 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 I don't, I don't think, think he offends easily i think he's probably okay, okay. Yeah. and I, I think uh, no man who runs a florida state website and also deals in recruiting year-round takes offense <laughs> easily absolutely not all right roll bud we'll see you guys next week